0: Tennessee basketball wrestled in the mud and won a slugfest against Duke in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And Rick Barnes' balls are on to the Sweet 16. Welcome back to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Mike Wilson and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Spring football got underway this week, but we continue to talk basketball uh, because... Tennessee is now one win away from just its second Elite Eight in program history. The Vols will play Florida Atlantic in the Sweet 16 after beating Duke in the second round. And guys, the way we, the way we talked about uh, Tennessee's path ahead, it almost felt like this would be an upset if Tennessee beat Duke by seeding it wasn't um but i think the the narrative surrounding the game with rick barnes historical struggles in the nca tournament with duke coming in on a on a hot streak made it feel that way so how did tennessee do it how did rick barnes exercise his nca tournament demons
1: more so than seeding matchups matter and so does the officiating and i thought the officiating favored tennessee not in a sense that it got better calls just the way the game was allowed to be played. That's the kind of game that Rick Barnes prefers. That's the kind of game his teams prefer. That's not, there's nothing wrong with physical play. You get away with what you can. Duke didn't match uh, Tennessee's physicality. That was apparent from the outset. And I don't know, a lot of that might have to do with the way ACC games are officiated as opposed to how SECC games are officiated there's a lot of physical play in the sec but that i thought really really favored tennessee and it's incumbent on the players to adjust to how the game is called and i thought tennessee did a really a better job of adjusting to that than uh, duke did
2: yeah i thought you saw a bunch of grown men say these kids aren't going to beat us
1: (laughs) it's what it looked like i mean duke
2: really talented team and the, the Urosh fouls to start the game okay. kind of told the story to me. Kyle Filipowski flopped twice, both fouls on Urosh Plavsic. One for an elbow, the pride not need to be involved. The second one for just a legitimately very, very hard box out. But it seemed like with those plays, Tennessee said, we're here to mess you up. Can you respond or not? And Duke couldn't respond. They They talked the day before about having played physical teams like Purdue, and Virginia throughout the season and and groups like that. And I think Tennessee just walked in there and said, good luck comparing how physical we are to someone else. <laughs> uh, but importantly, I think the stories of the game, Jonas Adu, the way that he played when Uros plasic was in foul trouble, he was incredible in the first half. I thought Santiago Vescovi played for the first 30 minutes as well as I've seen him play consistently in his career um, on both ends and then obviously what Olivia Kamwa did in the last 10 minutes. I mean, Duke went zone, and Olivia Kamwa ended their season. Uh, I mean, he absolutely obliterated uh, uh, Duke once they went to a zone defense. And, I mean, you can't count on him to go supernova like that again, but just knowing he's capable of doing something like that has to give Tennessee a good feeling moving forward.
0: It, it's interesting how quickly the narrative – can change around a coach you know it, it, Rick Barnes coming into this tournament we talked about it on this podcast last week I mean, he was sub 500 throughout the course of his his very long career in the NCAA tournament he's now pulled to 500 he's 26 and 26 overall in the tournament and the narrative has sort of flipped after beating Duke to kind of how do you like Rick Barnes now uh, Mike you explored that that topic in a story uh, after that win against Duke and Knox News, and I think that's that's sort of where the storyline is now. And now Tennessee will play Florida Atlantic, but just as quickly as the narrative can flip one way, it feels now that um, I, I don't know does the pressure turn on, on Tennessee to keep this rolling now? I mean, because the, the the region has has cleared open, you know, Purdue's out of the way with with their loss in round one to Fairleigh Dickinson, so now Tennessee gets a nine seed. In Florida Atlantic in a a Sweet 16 game, on the other side of the region, Marquette's out of the way, having lost in their second-round game to Michigan State. I mean, at this point, um, you know, the the top-seeded teams remaining are Kansas State and Tennessee, and as I said, the narrative has flipped one way, but can't you see it going back just just the other way just as quickly if Tennessee were to stumble? I mean, it it feels like to hammer this home that, A – Rick Barnes has turned the corner here. All this talk about his stumbles in March, um, put the put those behind you. And don't they have to kind of keep winning, or or that narrative reverts, right?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, that your day to day in the NCAA tournament or game to game. One of the things I don't think anybody where Barnes has been criticized for not winning more in the NCAA tournament were when compared to his regular season success. Uh, one of the things about Barnes is uh, going against good teams, and, and I shouldn't even say good teams. I mean, exceptional the uh, basketball bluebloods of the world, if you will, uh, playing, beating Kansas, beating Texas. He didn't beat Kentucky this year, but he's had success against Kentucky in the past head-to-head. So it's almost as though Tennessee might be better off playing a school with a high-profile image uh, than, than a, being matched up against pretty much a basketball nobody in Florida Atlantic. Most people don't even know where that, that school is. Uh, they'll just say South Florida. But, you know, and even – and I think it's ironic he could play, if he gets past Florida Atlantic, if favored to do so, could play Kansas State. I mean – He's already beaten Kansas. Kansas is the basketball program in that state. Yet here is Kansas State still alive in the tournament in Kansas City. I think Kansas State's a pretty good team. But those are the teams when you look at Rick Barnes's failures in the NCAA tournament. It's been against underdogs, uh, the Loyola of Chicago's of the world, those kind of programs.
2: Yeah, it's you, Michigan State's on the other side of that bracket too. And and when you're talking about the name on the front of a jersey. You'd almost say to Tennessee, if you could pass Florida Atlantic, maybe you want to see Michigan State. Sure. Uh, the, the way that they got up for Duke in this round. And also they had a closed scrimmage against Michigan State at the start of the year. So there's also familiarity there with that, that team and that program as well. But I do think it is interesting what, what John said. This team does appear to get up for the bigger opponents, which is what you're saying with Rick Barnes. Because just as easily, as, as I wrote, you're still doubting Rick Barnes. The Duke game was kind of a silencer thing to me. That was a very well-coached situation. It was clear that that team was going to walk in an absolutely out-physical Duke. They were better prepared than Duke was. They played to exactly who they are and played to strengths. Um, I thought that was as well-coached of a game. I think I called it a masterpiece of brutality. Like That's, that's how I felt about it. it, was, it was, that's what I walked off the court saying. Was, it was just a brilliantly executed bullying. Uh, is what it came down to. And th- that's, that's how this team can win these games, but now you can't avoid a letdown or else you do play back into that narrative, um, of Rick Barnes in March, which we talk about, everyone talks about 26 appearances, one final four. Um, it's a second sweet 16 at Tennessee and five appearances. This team feels like it has to get to the elite eight. Um, and if it gets to the elite eight, it certainly has a good shot of getting to the final four. Um, because Kansas state has been a lot like Tennessee going to this tournament. Uh, in terms of their up and down close to the season. And Michigan State, they're familiar with again, but Tom Izzo in March is a thing. Just as people talk about Rick Barnes in March, people talk about Tom Izzo in March for the opposite reason. But yeah, I think overall, when you talk about Rick right now, the reality is he's had incredible success at Tennessee. This is probably the most sustained success that this program has ever seen. Um, And he's got it rolling. And right now you've got to roll it more into March or else you're going to hear those same detractors come back.
0: So Mike, while you were down in Orlando, actually working, um, I was, uh, as I'm, I'm sure a lot of the fans listening to this podcast was watching as many basketball games, uh, as I could, uh, back here. And one of the teams I enjoyed watching the most throughout the first weekend of the tournament, not knowing, you know, at least in the early days that they would be matched up with Tennessee was Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they played a really exciting game against, against Memphis um, on Friday night, pulled out, um, you know, like I said, one of the more thrilling games in the first round and then uh, had a kind of a hard fought win against upstart Fairleigh Dickinson in round two. The interesting thing about FAU, like a few other teams in this tournament, they haven't seen a three point shot. They don't like they shoot as many, not as many, but a high, high percentage of their shots come from beyond the arc. I think they're in the, the top 40 nationally in percentage of their shots coming from distance. And and we saw them, you know, throughout the first couple games, go through some hot stretches, some cold stretches, as you would expect for that type of team. They're playing hard. Um, they've got a good big man in the post and, and a bunch of athletic guards. How do you sort of see this matchup for, for Tennessee? Is this a favorable draw um, or, or otherwise?
2: You know, I think there's some similarities, obviously, this is not meant to sound as an insult to to Florida Atlantic, but some similarities to Alabama in a lesser sense, just in terms of that run gun, they're going to shoot from deep or they're going to shoot at the rim. Um, You take a shot chart, you're not going to see anything in that mid-range free throw line, elbow area. Um, They do, they average about 27 threes a game, which I don't, the percentage you referenced, but 27 a game is about 20th in the country as well. So they want to shoot the ball. Um, And Tennessee, I, I think when they've seen teams like that this year, they want to push you off the line. Um, and that's been one of their successful things with three-point defense this season is they figure they can muscle you out of the shots that you want to take. Um, obviously it's going to be a little bit more of a perimeter centric game for Tennessee defensively. And I think it was against Duke, which was a little bit more balanced in their overall attack. But yeah, I mean, Florida Atlantic's been fun. I hadn't seen much of them until this weekend. I saw bits of that Memphis game. Um, I'm not shocked. They came out of that, that pod. I, I thought, and I tweeted it the other day most predictable thing in the world to me was Purdue not winning that pod. Um, I thought it would be Florida Atlantic or Memphis that beat them, not not the 16 seed. But it seemed very obvious that Purdue was not coming out of this first weekend. Um, So it's not a shocker to see Florida Atlantic, I don't think, because they're good. I mean, they get up and down the court. They don't average a ton of possessions necessarily, but they play fast with the ball. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see Tennessee's three-point defense against the way that they would want to shoot the ball.
1: I think one of the keys to these NCAA tournament games is how quickly teams adjust. They're often facing teams and a style of play that they might not have faced that often within their conference. So I think when you go against Tennessee, you have to be prepared for a defense that's going to contest just about everything. I mean, Tennessee is truly relentless on defense, the way it pressures every pass the way it pressures every shot. And I doubt very seriously Florida Atlantic has seen a team that can do that and sustain it the way Tennessee does. Well, can they adjust to that quickly? Uh, I just think that that happens a lot regardless of the styles. That determines a lot of these NCAA tournament games. Mike talked about Duke not handling Tennessee's physicality. It didn't adjust well enough. Uh, And I don't know whether Florida Atlantic will or not. I mean, I would think it would be hard for it to, but you never know. A lot of that depends on the experience, the mental toughness of players, and and coaching comes into play, of course, too. But I think that's a real key, and it will be a key in both this. Presumably, Tennessee will get by Florida Atlantic, and if uh, the bracket holds chalk and it plays Kansas State, I think that would be a great matchup, a really, a really compelling game.
2: It's interesting. You say that too, John, because I think Mm. of the flip side of it too, because I watched and covered the middle Tennessee state upset, upset against Michigan state back in 2016 and Michigan state didn't adjust fast enough to a style of play that they weren't familiar with and they got beat for it. Uh, They fell behind 15 to two before the game had really even started and never quite got back in it. So there's also some pressure on Tennessee to do that as well because if Tennessee is not a high scoring team, as we know. So if Florida Atlantic comes out and starts making shots that can get dicey for Tennessee in a hurry. So there's that element of adjusting too, as well to what you're facing as the higher seed.
0: You know, one thing I think about with Florida Atlantic, um, they're 33 and three, you know, and, and I don't, and I've said this before, I don't care what conference you come from when you're 33 and three uh, that's, that that's indicative of a team that that can ball. And, and beyond that, this isn't a team from like one of those micro conferences that you've never heard of before. And, <laughs> and, and they pull off some, some stunning March upset and you're like, wait a second, what conference they play in? What state are they located in? Um, I mean, this isn't the sec, but Florida Atlantic competes in conference USA. I mean, that's a, that's a conference we've all heard, heard of before, right? They, they played Florida and Ole Miss early in the season. They lost to Ole Miss, but they beat Florida. Uh, now Florida's not in this tournament. Uh, they're, they're not an NCAA team. However, you know, Florida's a team from the SEC. They're they're not. Point being, I don't think they're going to be intimidated um, by anything in this game. And and like I said, when you when you step onto the court thirty six times and you win thirty three of them, to me that that's indicative of of a dangerous team. But as you as you guys look at this this region, um, you know, we know Tennessee obviously will have to get through FAU, and then waiting on the other side is Kansas State, Michigan State. Who do you see maybe as being the potentially biggest hurdle? We don't know who Tennessee would, would play in a potential lead eight, but of the three, who's the biggest hurdle
1: standing in between
0: Tennessee and, and the
1: Final Four? Well, uh, I think it's Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State plays in a great league. Uh, it's battle-tested, has a similar record to Tennessee's. Um, I was really impressed with its play against Kentucky. Uh, and I kind of tried to look at that through a Tennessee lens. Uh, Tennessee unable to beat Kentucky in two tries this year, mainly because K- uh, Kentucky matched Tennessee's physical play and its size and 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 length really, I thought, favored Kentucky. Kansas State was able to match up and handle Kentucky's aggressive play, and I thought that was significant, and I I think I looked at the game from from that context, imagining Tennessee and Kentucky's position. So to me, it's Kansas State. But Mike makes a really good point uh, about Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Michigan State was a blank slate to me. And, and I guess Marquette was too. But based on Mar- a Michigan State season, I didn't expect to see that kind of performance. But you guys know how it works. I mean, uh, some coaches are just better in this NCAA tournament than others. And Tom Izzo, a great coaching resume, also really good in the tournament. Uh, a Musselman comes, Eric Musselman comes to mind with Arkansas. I didn't necessarily see Arkansas make it into the Sweet 16. Didn't see it getting past Kansas, but he's good in the tournament. So I, because of that, just as I say, I think Kansas State is the toughest hurdle for Tennessee. I don't think Michigan State would be a walk in the park with the Elite Eight hanging in the balance. W- with the Final Four, rather, hanging in the balance.
2: Yeah, part of me wants to say Florida Atlantic off the jump just because Tennessee has shown that, that proclivity to play to the name on the jersey a little bit. Um, I, I think that's existed. And what you saw against Duke, can you match that intensity now uh, when you walk into Madison Square Garden and you see Florida Atlantic across from you? Uh, can you play up to that same level of excitement? But I do think it is Michigan state. I think Michigan state is going to beat Kansas state. Um, Kansas state's interesting. They have two guys that score 17 a game and that that's problematic for Tennessee. I think just, again, they don't score a ton. Uh, so you kind of know that you have to score a lot of points against Kansas state, but to me, it, it's the time is O factor. Um, he's like 55 and 20 something in, in the NCAA tournament. Incredibly good in those second games of the weekend, Um, tends to not lose those if he gets there Um, and that's gone really really well uh, throughout his career so uh, I think you see Tyson Walker is probably the toughest individual matchup in this bracket for Tennessee Um, I mean a point guard who can score a ton a guy that Tennessee would needs the Kai Ziegler probably more than they have at any point so far this postseason uh, to go up against him so to to me it's Michigan State Um, I think that matchup probably awaits if Tennessee reaches the Elite Eight and for Tennessee fans, that's an unfortunate moment too because only other lead Eight in program history was Michigan State as well, and that's the one that, that sent Tennessee home.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Mike. You, you almost went to Florida Atlantic, and that's sort of where I'm headed toward maybe as being the, the toughest hurdle for Tennessee, and I don't know that there's much logic to that other than I feel like if if Tennessee gets past Florida Atlantic, they're, they're going to go. Yeah. They're going to go to the Final Four. I'm not saying that Florida Atlantic's the toughest team. It just, to me, um, I guess... You know, sort of what we've been kind of talking about. This this team has gotten up for big games all year. Um, if they get past FAU, I think they're they're beating either Kansas State or or Michigan State and, and going to the final four. And I do think I think FAU is going to be a, a more dangerous opponent than maybe what jumps off the bracket. You know, if you're if you're a college basketball fan who who maybe hasn't been for whatever reason, wasn't tuned in for the first weekend of the tournament, and you just look down at a bracket and you think, "Oh, Tennessee, FAU. I don't know much about FAU. Tennessee's gonna win that game." You haven't seen this team play. I think they're, I think they're actually, uh, they're, they're pretty tough. Final thing, guys. Um, you know, Mike, you said earlier at this point, this team needs to get to the Elite Eight. This was a team with high preseason expectations. They've got an opportunity here. They need to get there. I guess in terms of the narrative, what's kind of on the line this weekend? I mean, as we said, the narrative in the moment right now is Rick Rick Barnes, to your point, Mike, has, has silenced the criticism. We've talked about how quickly the narrative can change from one weekend to the other. Um, what's on the line in terms of lasting narrative of this season, do you think, based on what happens this weekend?
2: Yeah, my preseason prediction for this team was an Elite Eight. Um, I, I thought it needed to be an Elite Eight team, given the the veterans on the roster, uh, the overall talent, the newcomers they brought in—it it seemed like an elite eight team. And, and why I'm giving so much credit to Rick Barnes now is they've had their full roster 12 times all season. They don't have their starting point guard right now. The bulk of their injuries have been to three of their three of arguably their four best slash most important players. Um, when you talk about DeSai, Jordan James, Zakai Ziegler, and Julian Phillips, and they had Santi who was sidelined a little bit early in the year too, um, and was playing through injuries, so. The coaching job here has been incredible. I think you've got to get to the Elite Eight still. And I think getting to that Elite Eight, first off, there, there's a little faction of the Tennessee fan base that still says, well, but Bruce Pearl did this. But Bruce Pearl got to the Elite Eight. Rick Barnes hasn't done that. And Bruce Pearl beats Tennessee a lot still. I think Rick Barnes gets there, it kind of throws that one out the window. Certainly if you get to the Final Four, then, then you're talking about Rick Barnes potentially being the greatest coach in Tennessee basketball history, potentially there's obviously Ray Mears is is out there. That's not meant to disrespect what he did at Tennessee, but from a postseason perspective, that would make him the best postseason coach at, at Tennessee. So I think that's part of that narrative. I also think the senior class has something to say with this because um, there was a lot of debate late last season and early this season of which is the best Tennessee team Rick Barnes has had, and I still think it probably is that 2018-19 team. But this team goes and makes this run that conversation suddenly gets a lot more interesting. So you're talking about a legacy of a team here as much as you are a coach trying to get to the second Final Four of his career in the first one in 20 years.
1: Well, I I think if Tennessee would be, uh, Blake is pretty much uh, characterized Florida Atlantic as this giant killer. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that, but let's just, for uh, discussion's sake, let's just say Tennessee loses. Uh, It would be, in terms of seeding, a big upset. Tennessee's only, I think, a 5.5 favorite. It's not that big of a favorite. I think, though, whereas in the past it's been, well, Rick Barnes just can't coach in the MCA tournament. I think the win over Duke would still resonate. I just think it would be, well, Rick Barnes isn't good against underdogs. He's good against the heavyweights. I still think that win over Duke would mean something. Even if Tennessee stumbled and fell short of the Elite Eight, yes, there would be criticism, but the fact that he beat a really talented team that was a slight favorite and that has had huge success in the NCAA tournament, uh, I just think that will mean something for the program and and for for how Barnes is viewed.
0: Alright, Tennessee two wins away from its first Final Four in program history. Mike Wilson will be out in New York covering the affairs on Thursday night at Sweet Sixteen game against FAU. You can find all of his coverage at knoxnews.com, you can find John's commentary, and as always, we'll be back with you here on the Volunteer State next week. Thanks for listening.